This is Radiance Tape Number, JD42A, a message by Jim Durkin entitled, Spiritual Victory, Part 1. I'd like to talk to you this morning about some things that can benefit you. And there are things that in my early life, some of the things that I'm going to tell you not to do, I can tell you that I did those things. And uh, I did them for years and years and years and years. And this is why after serving the Lord for 25 years, whereas I have some insight into the Word of God, and He's raised me up and given me a work to do, and the Lord is blessing it, yet I see some of our young men and young women coming to a knowledge of things and literally mastering those things that I had not mastered until I'd been walking with the Lord for 20 years. And so the reason why I'm telling you these things is that you don't have to take 25 years to get to some place in the Lord, but I pray that you can get there earlier by avoiding the pitfalls that I fell into. And I thank the Lord he let me fall into them. He's not going to pass something along to you here that help you avoid those pitfalls. So I'm going to be talking today about spiritual victory, and this is what we need. Always there is a warfare going on to denude you of your spiritual victory, to take you and rob you of everything that God has planned for you. So he's got some place that he's trying to bring you to in the Lord, and there are agencies. There are entities, there are creations that are literally working continually to rob you of what God wants to do in your life. Now, if you understand a real warfare, see, a lot of times we just think life is just kind of a, oh, a thing I get up in the morning at whatever time, five o'clock, six, seven, eight, whatever my particular time is to get up, and then the day begins, so I do this and I do that and I do something else and this happens and that doesn't happen, all kind of like just kind of things happening here, and I'm supposed to keep cheerful through it all, and we don't see the real situation. And so today I'm going to try and explain a little bit of that real situation of how God deals in our life to bring us to that place of spiritual victory. First place that I want you to understand is Satan's operation in the world. And I don't want anyone to get all bummed out and like we had one time at the ranch, people thought there were devils under the bed and devils in the light switches and you'd flip the lights off and the devils would come out and so forth and so on. Nothing like that. And that's not why I'm talking about Satan. But I do want to expose that which he can do. That which God has given him the power to do. Now if you can understand that, then you understand the situation that is warring on your being continually. First of all, Satan has the power to resist us as individuals. Now, he has the power to stand up before the Lord against me as an individual and against you as an individual and in some certain situations put some real pressure on you and me. Now, before we ever get started, I want to quote a scripture. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not suffer you, will not allow you, will not permit you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. So you're going to see when we are allowed by God to be placed temporarily at the cruelty, the mercilessness of Satan, 
that that is always a limited thing that Satan can do. There's so far that he can go and no further. Now, the thing that I'm afraid of here, and that's why I want to lay the foundation carefully, some will say, well, why does God do that? Man, I don't want the devil getting after me. Now, for this message, you're going to find out one of the chief things that I'm going to lay down to you is to learn to trust God. If he has done anything, it's because he is love and infinite wisdom and infinite knowledge, and what he is doing is designed for our good, designed to lift us up, and that's the way to do it, and no better way could be found, and therefore God has permitted it to be so. I used to ask myself as a young Christian, and I used to say to God, God, why don't you kill the devil? See, you know, he's being tempting me all the time. Kill him, man. Get him away from me, you know. But God has never killed the devil. And he hasn't killed the fallen angels. And he hasn't killed the demons. They're still around. So now I've come to see that God has a purpose in mind in letting the devil exist and let the demons exist and let the fallen angels exist. And he also has a purpose in mind of once in a while, not all the time. It's not always that. But quite often it's that way where I am literally opened up to the attack of the devil at times. And sometimes it's not just a demon or a fallen angel. Sometimes it's Satan himself who has the permission from God to let me have a good one. Now, if you can understand that and come to accept it and say, well, is that what the Word says? All right, I want us to look at the Word and see what it says. So, we're going to take a look, first of all, at 1 Chronicles 21.1. Way back there in the Old Testament. Now, I put this under Satan's resistance to us. Now, the word Satan literally resists us at times. We're trying to do something. We have something in mind to do for God. We're going along and doing it. And the next thing, oh, we feel this. Oh, and we're just literally at times just like pushed backwards. And nothing we try to do, we just try to push against it, and it just pushes us back, back, back. And we say, Lord, how can this be? I'm doing your work, I'm doing your will, I'm doing your purpose, and here I've got myself into some crazy deal, and I don't know the way out of it. All right, let me read something here. First Chronicles 21.1. And Satan stood up against Israel, that's the nation now, not the person. Satan stood up against Israel and provoked David the king. Now, here's a godly man. This is a good man. This is the man, by the way, that God says about him, and I pray that that can be the testimony that God has about me or any one of us here, but God said about David, a man after my own heart. Well, here's a good man. And yet David was not a perfect man. He did some things that were pretty bad, which we in our day and time probably would not do, and bless the Lord, may we never do them, because we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And what the flesh was weak in the Old Testament and could not be delivered from, we in the New Testament have the power to overcome these things. But nevertheless, the principle is right, that this arch enemy of God and man, this accuser of the brethren, the Bible calls him Satan, the devil, adversary, deceiver, and accuser of the brethren, old dragon, serpent. See, all of these are descriptive of his nature. John 8, 44 calls him a liar and the father of liars. 
Everything when he speaks a lie says he speaks of his own. He was a murderer from the beginning. So all of these things are expressive of his nature. And yet we find out that this liar, deceiver, accuser, murderer is at times able to attack God's people. Now, understand with a reason, a purpose. Now, sometimes the man fails. Not God's will that he should fail. The man does not have to fail because God will not suffer him to be tempted above that he's able, but sometimes he does fail. And it says here that Satan stood up against Israel and provoked David to number Israel. Now, in those days, number men take a census. Now, we take a census every 10 years in the United States, and we don't think anything about it. But in those days, God told them not to number Israel in the sense that he was doing it. Not to do it. But David, after a while, I don't know what happened to him. He should have went to God's Word for the answer. Maybe he didn't clearly understand it was a darker time. I'm not accusing the man. I'm merely telling you what the Word says happened. He provoked David to do it. Now, how did he do it? Was it like when he came to the Lord and said, If you be the Son of God, see, Jesus believed he was. He received the testimony of God the Father when the dove settled upon him. John the Baptist said, You're the Holy One of God. I recognize who you are. The voice from heaven came say, This is my beloved Son. Hear him. See, he knew who he was. And then Satan says, If you be the Son of God, prove it. Do a little magic trick here. Turn the stones into bread. See, if you are really what you say you are. And you'll find this is Satan's trick always in our lives. He comes to us with this subtle, sly thing, questioning who you are. If you're really a Christian. If you were really filled with the Spirit. If you really love God, then you would do this and you would do that and you would do something else. And sometimes we foolishly hop in and try to prove it to the devil. You don't ever have to prove anything to the devil. He already knows only too well who you are and what you are. But if he can get you sucked into that, so you turn away from following after God, and you turn over and say, okay, devil, I'm going to prove something to you. You are in trouble. You are in real trouble. And that's what David did. Now, I don't know how it happened to him. If you really are the king, if God has really built up your kingdom... If you really, then you would want to know how many people there are and publish it abroad and you would... And here we see David swelling up with pride and saying, Joel, come here, number my nation. Let me read it. David said to Joab and to the rulers of the people, Go number Israel from Beersheba even unto Dan and bring the number of them to me that I may know it. And Joab, who was not a particularly godly man, but he knew something about the principles of God. A lot of bad things he did too. And finally, in the next dynasty under Solomon, he had to be put to death for some of the crimes he committed under David's reign. But nevertheless, he knew something. And Joab answered, The Lord make his people a hundred times so many more than they be. But my Lord, the king, are they not all my Lord's servants? Why then doth my Lord require this thing? 
Why will he be a cause of trespass in Israel? But the Bible says that David's word prevailed against Joab, and he said, go number those people. And Joab went and did, didn't carry it out completely. And the result of it was, because of God's judgment, a plague broke out against Israel, and 70,000, I believe it was, men of Israel fell by that plague. Before David came to his senses and realized that God's word is to be hearkened to. But please notice, the agent, the provocateur, the one actively working this deal, the Bible clearly states is who? Satan stood up against Israel to provoke David. That's the warfare. It's not a warfare, my thoughts against your thoughts and your ideas against my ideas. You don't like to do something and I want you to do it, so I'm going to make you do it. You're going to show me I won't make you do it. Now, this is not where it is. You and I are being warred against by powerful forces of another realm. We are being defended, protected, and delivered by the almighty forces of God's realm. But once in a while, we are turned over to for a purpose. Now, let me read some other scriptures to bring this out. Zechariah 3, 1. And he showed me, now here's a vision, opening the eyes of this prophet. He's standing here looking, and God opens his eyes so he can see, and he sees a vision in the heavenly places. And he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, probably Jesus, most times in the Old Testament, where it says the angel of the Lord was a manifestation of the Lord Jesus in the Old Testament. Standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. Now here's Joshua the high priest, and here's the angel of the Lord in front of him, and he's standing before the angel of the Lord, but what is at his right hand? What's there according to the word of God? Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. Now, let's read a little more about this man, Joshua. And the Lord said unto Satan, The Lord rebuke thee, O Satan. Even the Lord that hath chosen Jerusalem rebuke thee. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Okay, now here we see Joshua's deliverance. But let's read on a little further and see what kind of a situation Joshua got himself in before the deliverance came. Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and stood before the angel. Now I don't know if Satan at this point was acting as a demon of poverty to him, or I don't know if this is a spiritual thing, and we're saying that Joshua got himself in some kind of a spiritual mess that the Bible doesn't go on to say, so I'm not going to say but I'm telling you that there are times that Satan can get at your right hand and fill you up with a lot of wrong thoughts, bum you out completely, get you believing those things, and you begin to act on those principles that Satan lays down to you. And the next thing you'll find yourself either in a spiritual mess and wearing filthy rags that the devil has created for you and you put them on, or he's gotten you into a place of poverty because you've accepted his teachings which are contrary to the word. That God wants to prosper you. He wants to bless you. He wants to keep you in health. He wants to manifest his grace and glory in your life. But here's Satan, the Bible says on his right hand, resisting him. Joshua wants to stand before the Lord. 
Joshua wants to walk uprightly. Joshua wants to do what God wants him to do. But on his right hand is this arch enemy of both God and man, this accuser of the brethren, this terrible fiend, saying to him, this, 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 and Joshua listening to it, instead of going to the source of all truth, which is the Word of God, and getting his knowledge from the Spirit of God, he partly hears this, puts it into his life, and the next thing, the result is he's clothed with filthy rags. Now, thank God, the angel of the Lord came and delivered him. And the rest of the verse goes on to say, and I think every one of us will find out in our spiritual life, as short as it may have been for some of you, that you, too, have listened to Satan at some point and got yourself in a spiritual mess or poverty or some kind of filthy rags experience, and God had to come and deliver you out of that mess. Well, hallelujah, that he does this, or none of us would stand very long at all. So here we find, And he answered and spake unto those that stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And unto him he said, Behold, I have caused thine iniquity to pass from thee, and I will clothe thee with a change of raiment. And I said, Let them set a fair mitre upon his head. So they set a fair mitre upon his head and clothed him with garments, and the angel of the Lord stood by, so forth and so on. Well, thank you, Jesus, see, that the Lord delivers it. But here again is this example of warfare. Satan standing there and literally resisting a man trying to serve God. And God not stopping it until some point. Now, I'm giving you some bad examples or some good examples of how men of God have withstood this situation and brought great glory to God. See, this man evidently got himself into something, and David got fouled up on this particular point. All right? Satan's accusations. Let's take a look at Satan. Turn with me to Revelations 12 and verse 7, and we'll read through to the 11th. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon... And the dragon fought against his angels and prevailed not. This dragon being Satan, of course, fought against Michael and his archangels, and they did not prevail. Neither was there place any more for them in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out. That old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. Deceiveth the whole world. Anyone who will listen to him, he lies to and get you into trouble. Deceiver the whole world, he was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ, for the accuser of our brethren is cast down. Now listen to what he does. The accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God, Day and night. There's never a time when he is not accusing you and you and you and me and every godly person on the face of the earth to our God. Jim Durkin wouldn't serve you two minutes if you would do this and that and the other thing. Tim Leslie would curse you to your face if you would do this and that and the other thing. I know why they're serving you down there, that group of people, because somebody's giving them three free meals a day, and you take that away from them, and they'll all go back and smoke dope again. Day and night. 
Now let's read an example where that took place. Man by the name of Job. Turn with me, please, to Job, the first chapter. Thank you, Jesus. He's up there yelling loud now. Now it describes this man, Job, so we know he's a righteous man. There was a man in the land of us whose name was Job. The man was perfect and upright. Hallelujah. Look forward to seeing Brother Job. And one that feared God and hated evil, eschewed evil. And there was born unto him seven sons and three daughters. His substance also was 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camels and 500 yoke of oxen. Great man. 500 she asked in a very great household, so that this man was the greatest of all the men of the east. And his sons went and feasted in their houses every one his day, and they sent and called for their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And it was so when the days of their feasting were gone about, that Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that one of my sons of sin and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. Well, man, that was a mighty fine father. He watched over his children, and he wasn't taking any chances. They were getting out of line. He was high priest for his home, and he offered sacrifices before God continually, set a marvelous example. God blessed him in everything that he did. Now, we come to the accuser of the brethren, which accused our brethren before God, the Bible says, day and night. Now, it does no good to ask me, say, Jim, you've been studying the Bible 25 years. You know why God lets the devil come up there and say something like that? No, I don't know. But I know that it works for good. I know that all things work together for good to them that love the Lord and who are the call according to his purpose. So this has its place. It is designed to bring out in us those godly attributes and traits which in the final analysis make us to be overcomers. So that no matter what is thrown against us in this world or that world which is to come, we remain loyal to God and victorious in our overcoming. Now it is God's purpose to train up strong men and strong women who can stand anything in the name of the Lord. So, here's what it says. is happening in heaven. Now there was a day when the sons of God, this means the angelic host, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan came also among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. Now, I'm going to pick out your thoughts here in just a minute. Maybe not of all of you, but quite a few of you. And see if I don't hit it right. And if I hit it wrong, it's only because the Lord has delivered you from it. Because I went through this myself. I'll tell you about it in just a minute. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for nothing? Haven't you given him a pretty big ransom to put on his act? His Jesus act? How about all those sheep and those goats and cows and land he's got? That's what you've given him and you put a hedge around him. And that's why he raised his hand and says, Thank you, Jesus. But he said, You take it away from him. You put forth your hand and touch his things. I'll show you something here. 
You touch his things, and he'll curse you to your face. Now, I want to read what God said, and then I'm going to read your thoughts. And it don't have to be a prophet to do it. It's got nothing to do with prophecy. It just has to do with a miserable existence that I went through as a young man. Hallelujah. But put forth thine hand now, and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power. Only upon himself put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. And there was a day when his sons and his daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And there came a messenger to Job, saying, The oxen were plowing and the asses feeding beside them, and the Sabaeans fell upon them and took them away. Yea, they have slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. Attack. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, The fire of God is fallen from heaven and hath burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and only I am escaped alone to tell thee. Attack. While he was yet speaking, there came also, and like, not even finished speaking, and I only am left, Oh, Job, Job! While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, the Chaldeans made out three bands and fell upon the camels and have carried them away and slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, Thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house, and behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness and smote the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young men, and they are dead, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. I said to God, God, how could you have done it? It seems to me, God, it's like a dare. I dare you to do it. Double dare. Triple dare with sugar on it, God. Well, I'll do it. I'll show you a thing or two. That's what I thought. How foolish was I? like a brutish beast, not understanding the purposes and the wisdom of Almighty God. Let me tell you something. Job's sons and daughters were saved. Those people who worked for him, I'm sure that Job gave a sound and certain testimony, and the ones that literally worked with him were sound people in the Lord. The animals are beasts that have no certain lifespan. They live until they die. We've been permitted by God to slay them. If they died, they were immediately in the presence of the Lord. But I was so hung up in this earthly realm that my thought is, and I tell you, it can get into you if you're not careful, that it's far better to be a live human down here than a dead human in heaven. Lord, don't let me die. I know I'm going to heaven someday, but not right away, Lord. Oh, a lot of people feel that way. They think the hand of death is going to take up. Oh, no, God. I'll get there soon enough. It is far better to be in the hands of God, if God will it so, than to be on this earth. Paul said, I'm in a strait betwixt two things, whether to depart and be with Christ, which is far better, or to stay here, which is needful for you. And he chose to stay. But he knew which was far the best. And if Job's God had taken them, regardless of the calamitous way that it happened, brother, there's one thing we've got to do. 
is get our carnal senses separated from the truth of God's Word. So, when it happens, the sheep are gone, the cattle are gone, the land is destroyed, the sons and daughters are killed. What does Job do? Oh, he's been hit by the devil. And God let it happen. Let's see it. Then Job arose and rent his mantle, shaved his head, fell down upon the ground, and worshipped. Hallelujah. And said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. And I'm telling you, Satan, take it back. Because he can't understand anything like that. See, he expressed himself to God. God, I'll only serve you if you give me something. I'll only serve you if I get something out of it. You have to keep doing things for me, God, in order for me to serve you. God gave him, perfected him in beauty, the Bible says. He sealed up the sum. He was full of wisdom. His tabrets and his pipes were created in him in the day that he was created. The music that came out of him was beautiful beyond description. He gave him to be the head of the worship in heaven. But that wasn't enough for him. And the Bible said one day, he said, I will ascend above the stars of God. I will put my throne on the sides of the north. I will be like God. And God hurled him out of heaven. And ever since that time, he thinks everybody's like he is. He doesn't know that when the living God gets inside of us and changes us, we don't serve him because we've got three meals on the table or because we've got money in our pocket. We serve him because the servant is the most wonderful thing in all the universe. Hallelujah. So, when we're in the right attitude with God, no matter what happens. We'll see, I could go on here, but I've got so much more to cover, I've got to just briefly say it. Satan went back again after a period of time. And all this time, Job is pretty well run down. He's got no income. Sheep are gone. All of his instruments of production, all of his wealth is gone. And he's alone. Then Satan comes back another day. God says to him, what do you think about Job now? I don't know if there's any repentance for the devil. I doubt if there is in the sense that he'll ever do it. But I don't know, but what if he truly repented? There couldn't be found a place. God is merciful. I don't put that out as a doctor, believe me. I tell you this, I know the devil isn't going to repent, because the word is clear on that point. But I'm saying, I don't know, but what he wouldn't do that. God is gracious, merciful, slow to anger. Comes back and says, here, Satan, confess something. Now you come and said, he would turn away and curse me. What do you think of it now? Satan says, skin for skin. All that a man hath will he give for his skin. Yeah, you took it all away and he's still serving you, but he knows you got the power to kill him. So that's what he's going to do. Long as he's got a whole skin, God, this is no test at all. But he said, you touch him now, his flesh, and he'll curse you to your face. God said unto him, touch his flesh, but keep his life whole in him. Don't kill him. So he ain't got the power to kill you, I'll tell you that. Except God says, don't do that. Satan would kill you in a minute if he could. God says, leave him alone. Satan has no power to tempt you or touch you above that you are able. 
But God is faithful. He won't let you be tempted above that you're able. But will with a temptation make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it in every bit of his design for your good. Every bit of his design for your good. And so the Bible says that Satan came and smote him with sore boils. I don't know what any kind of boil I've ever seen anybody have as a sore boil, but the scripture talks about he smote him with sore boils, and that must have been even worse than a normal boil. But anyhow, I had him from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. So great was the pain. He literally scraped himself with a potsherd, and he literally cursed the day he was born. And his wife came to him, said, do you still retain your integrity? Curse God and die. Get it over with, man. God's turned against you. And he turned around to her and said, Woman, you talk like one of the foolish women. Said, Shall we receive only good at the hand of God and not evil? Said, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Hallelujah. Oh, Job grumbled and complained a little bit as he got along. But the Bible said in all of this, he did not sin with his lips nor charge God foolishly. He knew God was a God of love and mercy. And God was in there somewhere. And he'd finally see that his would come forth. Well, the end of it, the Bible says you see the end of the Lord. How he restored him everything he'd lost. Gave him twice over what he'd ever had. Gave him for three daughters, six daughters. There were none so fair in all the land as what God did. But I'll tell you what happened. See, we get it all home. It's, oh, God gave Joe back all the money. Okay, that's really good. That's not what we're talking about. Job came through it all when it was all finished. Now, I'll come back to Job a little later. When it was all finished, with a whole great expanded understanding of God's purpose, his life had grown greatly. He had become strong in the Lord. He had endured a test which few men could ever stand, and he had stood it. He knew where he was in God. See, he didn't know where he was in God before. Now he knew where he was in God. The devil had given him everything he could hit him with. And when it got all done, he had only one thing to say. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Oh, hallelujah. Let's read on a little bit more. Satan asks at times for permission to sift us as wheat. How do you like to get sifted like wheat? Well, I think some of you have been sifted like wheat. And some of you, when you got sifted... You blew out. Oh, I've blown out several times in my life, I'm going to tell you. But sometimes I haven't blown out. Sometimes when the devil was hitting me with everything that God would let him hit me with, somehow the Spirit of God began to take hold in me, and I didn't blow out. I just kept hanging in there and saying, Thank you, Jesus. He hit me again and said, Praise the Lord. Boom. Hallelujah. And finally got over it all right. And the devil backed off and said, That's the toughest one guy I ever saw in all my life. Last year, I just had to go, poof, and he fell right over. And this year, I hit him and hit him and hit him and hit him. And all he does is says, praise the Lord. See, that's where God's bringing us all to. Where we can stand up to everything he's got to hit us with. And just keep on worshiping the Lord. All right? Turn with me, please, to Luke twenty-two thirty-one. Look at 28. Ye are they which have continued with me in my temptations. And I appoint unto you a kingdom, as my Father hath appointed unto me, that ye may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and sit on thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And the Lord said, now listen to it, the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, 
that he may sift you as wheat. Satan desired to have you. Come up to God and said, that guy is going to betray your son. He's going to curse that he never knew him. He's going to turn his back on him. Let me have him. I want to shake him up good. I want to sift him like wheat. Jesus knew that and said he's going to have his way. But listen to this wonderful thing that took place next. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And the next thing, Peter, sifting began. I'll stand with you, Lord. Though all men should forsake you, yet I'll not forsake you. Though all men turn against you, I'm ready to die. I'm ready to do this and that and the other thing. Then that moment in the Garden of Gethsemane, where the crowd came and Judas kissed the Lord, Jesus said to him, This you used to betray me with a kiss. They ran to take Jesus, and Peter whips out his sword, trying to do it, trying to humanly do it. And he shut, I'm brave, Lord. <laughs> Struck servant of the high priest, cut off his ear, fell to the ground. Jesus healed the ear. So put up your sword, Simon. All they to take the sword will perish by the sword. In that moment, the Bible says Simon forsook him and fled. And they all forsook him and fled. Ran away. Simon follows him afar off. Comes up to a little deal. You know the Lord? No. This, that, and the other thing. Finally to a fire. Little maid stands there. Said, I know you. You're one of them. You're from Galilee. You're a follower of Jesus of Nazareth. Now, do you feel that sifting begin to take place? And the Bible says that Peter cursed and swore and said, I don't know him at all. And immediately the Bible says the cock crew. And he remembered what the Lord had said, and he went away and wept bitterly. Jesus said, I pray for you that your faith fail not. Oh, he's sunk, man. He's way down in the bottom of it. But I'll tell you before it's all over, Jesus is going to bring him up out of the slough of despond and set him on his feet and fill him with his spirit and call him to be an apostle and say, go preach my word. Hallelujah. And he's going to use that man who was sifted, shook, beaten, and hit. He's going to use that man before he's all over to cast out devils all over the world. Hallelujah. Oh, God's got a purpose in letting you get shook now and then. But if you can understand the warfare that's going on, don't take your spiritual life so loosely. You know, everything is rosy and I'm going to heaven on roller skates and this, that. Yeah, the Lord has guaranteed you're going to get there if you keep your integrity. I'm going to tell you along the way, man, it is warfare. Warfare. Fight to the death. Now, God uses Satan to show us where we are, whether we've got faith or no faith. A man come to me some years ago, and I've heard it many times since. But I told a guy about it. He said, yeah. He said, that's the kind of faith he's got. All right, what he said, he's talking about healing. He said, I want to get prayed for, and I want to be, want the Lord to heal me. And said to him, he said, brother, do you have faith? Do you believe the Lord? He said, man, I got all the faith in the world. Well, man, what was he doing there then? 
he had all the faith in the world, man, he should just no problems at all. See, but maybe to have all the faith in the world isn't what we need. We need to have the faith of God. See, and what he had is a big to-do, and here he was, and here I got all the faith in the world, man, just do a little trip on me, and I'll get healed, and everything will be fine. I've heard it many times since. And a lot of us think we have faith. But then God, in his mercy, steps aside, and the devil comes to us and Boom. That's right. And we go down. Now, what's the purpose of that? To show us God knows where you are. God knows where I am. But I don't always know where I am. And you don't know where you are all the time. And you go down. Oh, man, I thought I had all that kind of faith. You come back to God and say, merciful God, I didn't have the faith I thought I had. Lord, teach me to have faith. I got wisdom, man. I know how to run this operation. Now you pull a little button here and you twist this off and you pull this down. There it is. It's running really good. Look at that operation. It's a tremendous God. You're lucky to have me on your team. Don't you think so? See, here we are. And God steps back a little bit. Luther comes along going, <laughs> What happened to my, my deal? It's all gone. All gone. Then you come to a place, you read in the book of James, says any man lack wisdom, let him come to God who gives to all men liberally and upbraideth not. You come to God and said, oh God, I thought I was one wise guy and I found I'm just one wise acre, Father. And Lord, I admit to you now, I have no wisdom. I don't know anything. I have no strength. My faith is nothing. Lord, pick me up and give me whatever you can give me. And when you know nothing... And when you have nothing, and you are nothing, and you realize how weak you are, and how incapable you are of doing the little tiniest bit of God's work, we're all together, the Bible says, all together vanity. And here, God has picked up what the Bible says, He has taken that which is not to bring to naught that which is. So here's this great pompous world with all of their great swellings and trappings talking about all the wonderful things they're doing. And God said he's taken a zero to bring to zero all of this junk. But you are never really going to be used of God until you realize that you're a flat out zero. Hallelujah. And it took God 20 years to teach me that James Durkin totaled up Every good thing in him totaled up, all added up together. Just everything thrown in adds up to zero. <laughs> Hallelujah. I learned it, Lord. Isn't that a wonderful thing to know? You haven't got anything to defend anymore. Someone comes up and says, man, are you stupid? Say, how did you know? <laughs> you are really dumb. Oh, it's that obvious, is it? No defense. But as long as you don't think you're zero, oh, brother, I retouch it. I didn't like your sermon. Oh, you didn't, huh? Well, I want you to know I preach the Word of God, and if you don't like it, brother... <laughs> Amen. If anything good happens, God did it. If anything bad happened, blame yourself. Hallelujah. So my son yesterday... I said I used to be the most right fella I ever knew. 
things went bad for me in my life, everything went bad. Nothing really went wrong. Oh, once in a while I'd be a little, God take the pressure off for a bit. He's trying to train me, trying to wake me up. Then bad again. Then a little bit. And oh, did my family go through it. Brother, if anybody ever went through a hell on earth, my family went through it. Well, God was trying to get me to some place and thank God for a good family. But I went through it and I put them through it. And oh, I had reasons. Nobody ever sees it. Nobody understands me. They don't really see the ability that's there. If they just give me a chance, if they only knew, if everybody's against me, they don't do this. And oh, I can rationalize it all. Don't you see this? Everyone say, yeah, yeah, you, you sure talked me into it. But what was the result? Every rotten thing that could happen to a man happened to me until I had no home. My family was broken up. No finances. No health. And I wandered like a vagabond on the earth. Going from place to place with no certain dwelling place and nobody to turn to. Cheated my friends. Run out all my obligations and my debts. And alone. And then one day... James Durkin finally heard God's message that he tried to tell him 10, 12, 15 years before. Jim, you let me take over your life. You give up thinking. You give up trying. You just let me do it. And when I tell you to think, think what I tell you to think. And when I tell you to move, move the way I tell you to move. And if I don't tell you to move, don't move. When it finally dawned on me that I was zero, weak, no wisdom, no power, nothing. And I said, from now on, Lord, to the best of my ability, Father, I'll practice your word. Don't know what it means. Got no understanding of it. Going to start reading it again. Oh, Lord, bring my mind to neutrality so that you talk to me out of it. I don't come in here telling you what it means. You tell me what it means. And you don't even have to tell me what it means, Lord. If you don't want to tell me what it means, don't tell me. But when I'm ready, if you please, tell me. I yearn now to know your truth. And God began to teach me. And then he took my health and gave it back to me. And he took my family and put it back. And he restored my finances and gave me a ministry. He said, go preach my word. You're ready. You know who you are. You know who you are? Say it. Zero. And yet I'm not a zero. I'm a son of God. But I'm a son of God only as long as I realize I'm a zero. I'm a zero that all the glory may be his. If any good thing happens in my life today, brother, sister, I know it isn't me. It is God in me. And nothing else matters at all. To him be the glory. He said, my glory I will not share with another. It took me 15 years to learn it. Oh, what foolishness. Thank God. Some of you are learning it in one year, two years, three years. How marvelous is this miracle that God is performing in your lives? Now, let's just stand together, shall we? Heavenly Father, our brothers and our sisters now are going out to do a, a job of bringing Christ to this community. Now, Father, we're not sure what all the ramifications are of this deal. And therefore, if there's something we should know about it, we pray that you give us wisdom to understand even that mighty Father. But, Lord, as our brothers and sisters go, grant them your wisdom. Let them try not 
to witness in their own power, but to simply walk in the Spirit and trust that you will give them the words and the thoughts and the things to say, mighty Father, and let them go in the power of the Spirit and in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let them take heed to the words that I have spoken to them this day, Father, that they may understand that this is a warfare that we are in, and that there are times when, in your mercy and your wisdom, carefully supervising and watching over it, but you have allowed us, Father, to be attacked by the accuser of the brethren, the evil one, the old serpent, the devil. But, oh, Father, every time it's been designed to bring glory to your name, and let us live to bring glory to your name, Father, and designed, Lord, to lift us up strong in the faith, and let it produce that mighty Father in our lives. And so as we walk out in these streets, let us do it, Lord, with joy in our hearts and with a certainty that you're with us, Lord, and you're going to accomplish your purposes in us and those we go to. Now bless this group, Father, and let them go forth in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. I'd like to continue the message that I was ministering on this morning. Kind of a heavy message, but one that needs to be heard and one that needs to be properly understood because this type of warfare that we're in admits of no quarter on anyone's part. The devil is certainly going to give you none. You don't know what that means. It used to be in the old days when they had sword fights, when a man felt he was totally defeated and he could not win, he would ask for quarter. And if the other person was merciful, he would not fight with him anymore. In other words, he would not take his life. But when they got into a fight that was meant to be the death, they would say no quarter asked and no quarter given. And it was a fight to the death. Somebody was going to die in that fight. And I'll tell you, in the fight that we're in, the devil's going to give you no quarter. If you don't know how to fight in the Spirit of the Lord, not you, but in the Spirit of the Lord, then you can be sure he's after your very existence, and he'll take it if he can. All right, now, fortunately, thank you, Lord, the Lord is our surety, but we must know how to submit our lives to him. Now, I'd like to continue a little bit about Satan's activities, and then go on into the Lord's activities in our life. The Lord's intention is to bring us to a place where we are going to be totally submissive to him. We are going to be totally surrendered to him. We are going to be totally in agreement with him. Now, there are a thousand reasons why you can justify your arguments with God. I don't understand this. I don't feel this is right. It doesn't seem to be fair. It isn't a democratic way. It isn't this. It isn't that. It isn't something else. I have all kinds of reasons. But when it gets down to it, you're going to find that the people who received something from God were those who had learned to submit to God, to his teaching, to his lessons, no arguments, agreed with him completely, even when they would have had reason to justify some other course of action. But they never even attempted to justify anything. They come to the place I told you about this morning, absolute zero them. So you have nothing to justify when you're zero. You only have something to justify if you're on the plus side of the ledger. And that's something no Christian ever is. He's zero plus God. Ah, what a, what a combination. Say zero plus God. It's not Jim Durkin 42% and God 58%. Nothing like that. See, that makes a hundred. It's Jim Durkin zero, God 100. Now that's, that's the equation that we have to set up. And therefore, there's nothing to justify on my part. See, I'm not even a foundation. Say, well, you're right down at the bottom. No, I'm right down at the nothing. See, now wherever that is. I don't even know where that is. Hallelujah. All right. So now Satan works in another way. 
And understand that God permits this activity. All right, turn with me to Daniel, the 10th chapter. Here this great prophet of God. Now, one place the Lord in his Bible, the Old Testament, said, Go to three righteous men of the earth stood before me. And one of them was Moses. Maybe Abraham was one of them. I can't remember now. The scripture just came to me to give it to you. But the third one was Daniel. God called him one of the three righteous men. Now, he was an outstanding example of God's righteousness, of stability. He lived through the reign of three or four kings, all of them heathen. Some of them he brought to the knowledge of God. The ones that would not come to the knowledge of God, he retained his integrity in God, could not be shaken even at the threat of his people to take his own life. He would not be moved. He became a stabilizing force while they were in captivity in Babylon. This was a great man of God. All right. Now, this great man of God, you'll find the 10th chapter of the book of Daniel, third here, third year, of Cyrus, king of Persia, a thing was revealed unto Daniel, whose name was called Belteshazzar, and the thing was true, but the time appointed was long, and he understood the thing and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. I ate no pleasant bread, neither came flesh nor wine in my mouth, Neither did I anoint myself at all till the three whole weeks were fulfilled. Now, please notice he set his heart by fasting, most likely, although some would have some different idea about this, but I think he really meant he was fasting, that he set his heart through fasting to seek God for a revelation, something he felt he needed from the Lord. All right, now, here's a righteous man. Lay that foundation down. God had done a work in him. He was righteous. Second thing, we find him fasting and praying. So he's doing everything he knows how to get this revelation from the Lord. We say, well, my, anybody really get it on like that for the Lord, why the Lord had just really appeared to him right now. No, there is a warfare. There is authority that exists that is not righteous. It is unrighteous. But that authority does exist. And God has allowed it to exist. He has not overthrown it. He will overthrow it someday when his work is done with humanity. But he has not overthrown that authority. It still exists. And the way it seems to be set up, Bible telling us that our warfare is not against flesh and blood. But the tendency of all of us is to forget this. Somebody does something good, we say, oh, I'm going to get that guy. He did something to me. Well, in a sense he did, but that's not who our warfare is about. The Bible says if your enemy hunger, feed him. If he's naked, clothe him. The Bible tells us to do good to those who evilly entreat us, pray for those that use us wrongly, despitefully use us, persecute us. So shall you be the children of your Father which is in heaven. Our warfare is not against those who are in the flesh and blood, even though they do evil. And even though we may have to turn them over to the Lord for his dealing, but vengeance is not ours. The Bible says vengeance is God's, and he will repay. We have no business with the business of judgment at all. All right, now. But on the other hand, the Bible talks about our warfare is with principalities and powers and demon spirits in the heavenlies. King James says spiritual wickedness in high places, and many people thought it's referring to government. Not talking about government at all. Talking about spiritual wickedness, demon spirits, spiritual powers in the heavenlies. 
this atmospheric, because this is the range of Satan's activity. He's called in the Bible the prince of the power of the air. Call another place the God of this world system, not the God of the world. The ball belongs to God. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. But the world system, that is Satan, that he's the God of that world system. And God constantly intrudes in it to bring to pass his purposes. Now, over the kingdoms of the world, there seem to be evil princes, fallen angels, which rule these kingdoms in darkness. And so the kingdoms of the world are in darkness, except to the extent that God is able to shine his light into individual hearts, and they are able to shine that light out and bring the light of God to that kingdom. But these authorities are established over the kingdoms, over the world systems. And to further make this clear, when Jesus was fasting and praying in the wilderness after 40 days, the devil came to him. He'd been tempting him all the time. Now the devil came to him and took him up at one point into an exceeding high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the earth and the glory of them. And he said, fall down, worship me, and all of this will I give you, for this is delivered into mine hand. And Jesus never argued with it, never said, why, you're a liar, you're not telling the truth, it isn't so, because it is the truth. It is the truth. The world system... The glory of it, the kingdoms of this world, are delivered into his hands, and over it is an evil prince. And it seems like that God does not simply override or smash that authority except on clearly outlined principles. He will simply move in a certain way, the result being something that we do. Now let's take a look at Daniel. Three weeks he's fasting and praying. Now go down to the 11th verse. And he said unto me, O Daniel, a man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak unto thee, and stand upright, for unto thee am I now sent. And when he had spoken this word unto me, I stood trembling. He had seen an angel here. Then said he unto me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand, and to chasten thyself before thy God, Thy words were heard, and I am come for thy words. Now, please notice. Let this be an encouragement to you. From the first day that he knelt before God and began his time of fasting, he said, Oh God, I pray that you respond to my need. And the Bible says, From the first day your words were heard, and the angel was dispatched. But now look at what happened in this situation. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one and twenty days. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one and twenty. He's not talking about a human prince. How could a human prince stop an angel from coming anywhere he wanted to go? Couldn't do it. Talking about a fallen angel, an angel of darkness who had authority over that realm, and that authority had to be challenged in God in a proper way. Bible says when the devil was contending with Michael the archangel about the body of Moses, Michael the archangel durst not bring railing accusation against the devil. A lot of times we get into this trip and we call the devil a few choice names. You dirty old slew foot, two-horned, long-tailed, red baboon, in the name of Jesus I command you to... Now, listen, the Bible says we're not to rail at dignitaries. That means whether they're earthly dignitaries or 
angelic dignitaries. The Bible says Michael the archangel, when dealing in this situation, durst not bring railing accusation against the devil, but merely said to him, Satan, the Lord rebuke you. And God did what God did. But he did not get into this name-calling, slandering, slurring type of thing. Leave that for the devil to slander. That's not our place. One and twenty days, the angel, the prince of Persia, withstood this angel Gabriel from coming. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one and twenty days. But lo, Michael, one of the chief princes, the archangel, came to help me, and I remained there with the kings of Persia. Now I am come to make thee understand what shall befall thy people in the latter days, for the vision is for many days. Now he goes on down, tells what the vision will be. Go back to the 20th verse. Then said he, Knowest thou wherefore I come unto thee? And now I will return to fight with the prince of Persia. And when I am gone forth, lo, the prince of Grecia shall come. But I will show thee that which is noted in the scripture of truth, and there is none that holdeth with me in these things but Michael, your prince. And here we're getting a vision into the spiritual realm of Michael, Gabriel, and two princes of an evil realm locked in combat for authority. Now why was Michael, why was Gabriel able to get through? Because Daniel held on in prayer. And somehow, don't ask me the mechanism of it. That's not for me to understand, and I don't understand. I doubt if you'll ever understand. I don't know that God will ever tell us. It's not important for us to know. The examples are laid down that there is something about the man of God who takes hold of the horns of the altar and gets down before the Lord and said, Lord, I am here before you. And he stays there or renews his prayer, not in the sense of unbelief, but in the sense of the absolute certainty that God will answer and manifest what he's determined it will manifest, that God will do it, and he simply hangs on before the Lord until that thing is completely manifest. Now there's a realm of authority which is trying to hinder our work, hinder our preaching, hinder everything that we try to do to fill us full of lies. The Bible calls in John 8, 44, says that Satan is a liar and the father of it. He's trying to fill us with lies. He'd like to fill you full of lies and you full of lies and you full of lies and everyone here full of lies. All of us believing false things against each other. All of us believing improper things. All of us finally denying the word of God. That's what he'd like to do. But the Bible says we are to listen to who? The spirit of truth whom Jesus will send that will guide us into all truth. What is truth? The Bible says, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You spend your time not listening to the vagrant thoughts that flip through your head. Say, oh, maybe that's the Spirit of God. Oh, here's another thought. Maybe that's the Spirit of God. Well, no, that sounded like the devil. Well, I'm not sure. Maybe it was God. We used to go through this when I was a young Christian. The Lord told me to, well, I'm not sure it was the Lord. Maybe it's the devil. Uh, no, it's the devil. No, it wasn't the devil. I think it was the Lord. Well, I don't know if it was the Lord. Maybe it's the devil. See? Well, this is the Lord. Now, the Lord can speak to you, but I'm telling you, if you don't know the difference between the Lord's voice and the devil's voice, get into the book. That's the Lord's voice. 
And stay in that book. Don't trust the vagrant thoughts and voices flitting through your head because they'll lead you astray. I'll guarantee you this. You'll hear voices say, like Smith Wigglesworth was telling one time, young lady, going by these voices. He said, are very dangerous things. He understood that 50, 60, 70 years ago. Man started out, had very little education. He learned to do plumbing work. As a young man, he had no education. He couldn't read and write. Finally learned to read enough to read the Bible. It's the only book he ever did read. And he had very little education, but he knew this book. The man of one book can be a powerful adversary against the enemy, I'll guarantee you. But he told about a young lady one night. Voice came to her and said, Rise up, I call thee to be a great missionary. Behold, I will send thee forth to the four corners of the earth, and thou shalt preach to millions and win thousands to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now said, Rise up, I am to test your obedience. Go down to the railway station and stand there before the ticket counter, and a man will come up to you, and he will say to you, You are called by God to be a missionary, and I'm sent by the Lord to give you money. Here is the money that you will need to go to such and such. I don't remember the place now. Oh, praise the Lord. Jumped up, ran down the railway station, stood there. One train, not no, two trains went by. Three trains went by. Four trains. Finally, the last train of the night. Notice you, oh, my God in heaven. What is the matter? Another voice said, I did this only to test your obedience. I'm still testing your obedience. Now what I want you to do is stand here all night, and tomorrow get on the first train, and when you ride to such and such a station, there the man will meet you. And she jumped on the train and went to this station. No man was there. All right, now I'm testing your obedience a little better get off the train get on another train back over here and she went around all day all day and by the evening time she was completely distraught and practically out of her mind and came to smith wigglesworth for help and he rebuked that lying devil that had taken advantage of her cupidity she should have been into the word of god now there are times that god does speak but i'm going to tell you something when god speaks you will have got to the place where you know it's God, and there'll be no doubt in your mind, and that leading will be sure, and the fruit will follow. But I tell you, we're in a deadly warfare, and you better realize who your enemy is, and he's out to get you if he can. God is your hope. Keep into the word of truth. All right, let's go a little further, because God now, why is he doing this? A couple of reasons. God uses Satan to show us where we are, in other words, where our faith is. Sometimes we think we're just full of faith and power, and then the devil comes along and just doesn't even have to do much, just go right over there like that and say, wow, man, where was all that faith I was going around blowing about? See, he doesn't have any faith at all. See, and then we get back up and say, Lord, man, I, I was all out of gear. The Lord says, now, you come back to me, you know how little you have, now I want you to see what I'm going to do. I'm going to fill you with myself. And then you begin to have true faith. True faith. See, a lot of our faith is like this much faith and this much thought. And what God wants to do is knock all the thought out. Whenever he knocks a thought out, replace it with true faith. And then he knocks another thought out and replaces that with faith. So that finally we have less and less thoughts and more and more faith. So that our lives are founded upon the truth of God's word and our relationship to him through the Holy Spirit who reveals the Lord Jesus Christ to us. So he comes then to show us where our faith is, whether we have faith or no faith, to develop us where we can be useful. Now, I give a particular example, though it's not always that way to be sure, but much of the time it is. Many times, when God is going to develop a man, now this is not a test by any means, and I don't want to get anybody who's having trouble with his wife or the wife having trouble with her and say, oh boy, this Brother Durkin said someday we're going to be this, that, and the other. That isn't what I said. 
I said, many times God does this. And I spoke to some brothers the other day, and the subject came up, why is it many times, especially someone who has a ministry that definitely has a call of God, married to a woman, he really loves her, and she really loves him, and yet the two of them have such a hard time getting along. And many times a man runs around saying, woman, you've got to submit, you're messing up my ministry, and people see it, and oh, submit, 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 submit. And a woman is running around, I would submit if you were the kind of man you ought to be, and I won't submit to somebody. And this goes on, sometimes for two, three, four years, you know, boomity, 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 boom, and so forth and so on. Now, sometimes what's wrong is the man doesn't understand the word submit. He thinks it means be in subjection to. He wants a lapdog. You know, he walks down the street, and she stays dutifully behind him six paces like this. See, and that's not what submission is. That's not what God is talking about. So if we have a wrong understanding of it, we're never going to bring a thing about like that without breaking the woman's spirit where she's no good to us at all and no value to God. But what God is doing in the man and in the woman Let's assume he's going to raise him up to be an elder. If the man so learns by exercising and practicing the principles of the Word of God and understand the thing many times that causes the trouble between the man and woman is Satan coming in and saying to the woman, and the man, and the woman, and here the next thing they're saying those things to each other. You know what your husband thinks about you? You know what your man thinks about you? You know what your wife thinks about you? I tell you, I tell you, and the next thing they're going at each other. See? It's the devil doing it. But God lets it happen. Now why? If the man and if the woman, in spite of their troubles with each other, will go to the Word of God and begin to practice the principles that are in the Word. Now that's what he's trying to show us. Practice the principles in the Word of God. Gradually what will happen, the man will begin to change. And instead of going around having to yell about the fact that he's a man, he simply will be one. And I told many men, don't have to prove you're a man, simply be one, and everybody will know it. It'll simply be there. And you'll have no trouble with getting your wife to submit to that kind of a relationship. She'll do it gladly because that's the way God has made her. Now, there's a reason why God's done that, too, and I better not bring it out. It might really blow some of you men out. You don't understand that one. But the Bible simply says this, and I say it's a matter of truth. But the Bible talks about wisdom, calls it a woman. Did you know that? Calls understanding a woman. But she never has understanding till she learns to submit. She never becomes that wise counselor to her husband till she learns to submit. But somewhere she's searching out God's Word, she stops listening to the devil, begins listening to God's Word, truly submits herself, becomes a servant to the whole family. And the Bible says of that virtuous woman, her husband arises up and calls her blessed, and her children arise up and they also praise her. Her mouth, the Bible says, opens with the lips of kindness, and in her tongue is the law of wisdom. Hallelujah. Now a woman has a place if she learns. Now a man also has a place. And that is the ability to hear wisdom and execute wisdom and be the leader for a family, for a tribe, for a nation, 
for an army, for anything that has to be done. Man has in him that quality of leadership, that strength of leadership that can face death itself and never turn away from it for a moment if the right relationships exist. But God is trying to bring out of the man and the woman that unique relationship that the man, by becoming the leader that he should be, brings the woman into submission. The woman becoming the woman she should be learns to submit, and the whole family submits, first the children. Now, the Bible says when this takes place, I want you to think about it. When a man has his house in order, he can be an elder. Now, why? Because the Bible says if he doesn't have his house in order, in other words, if he hasn't learned how to bring his house into submission, how can he rule the church of God? Because the people that are coming in to get saved, they're not all walking in and say, oh, I'm saved, I want to submit. Most of them don't say that at all. They say, oh, I'm saved, I want to take over the joint, tell you what to do, and I feel this and that, and the other thing, and they have to be brought to a place of submission. It's an art. It's a spiritual gift to learn how to bring people to submission. Now, it's easier to take the guy and say, Philip, I'm in charge here. Been in charge here for three years. Started the outfit. I got the legal control. And when I say the word around here, everybody jumps. Now, buddy, if you want to stay here, you better get with it. See? Now, if anybody submits under that condition, that subjection, you made a little slave. He's a puppy dog. Oh, he's like, hey, buddy. Oh, yes, Brother Durkin, what do you want? See? Well, that, this doesn't raise up strong men. This does not produce strong women. This produces broken men who are never good for anything unless somebody's there to give them orders. I don't want people who are going to take orders all of their lives. I want men and women who are going to be leaders and go to the ends of the earth and preach this gospel. Whether I'm there or whether I'm not there makes no difference because you come into that relationship with Jesus and he can give you the direction. Now, so why is he doing with this husband-wife relationship? Why does he let Satan work on you? So that you may work out the problems on a little scale so that when you've learned how to do it at home, you can do it over all of God's work everywhere. And I'm telling you for whatever it's worth, there's just as much discipline and authority and love in Mendocino or Whitehorn or Alaska or Coquille, Carlotta, as there is right on the Lighthouse Ranch. My word is respected. My word is carried out. Why? Because I walk out there and say, all right, buddy. None of that. No one ever sees that, never hears, never will hear it. That isn't God's way. God's way is to place in you the love, the authority, the strength, the godliness of himself. And then godly men hear it and submit. Same thing with husbands. You let God place in you his love, his authority. You love your wife with his love. You speak words of wisdom, that is his wisdom. You exercise the qualities of strength, that is his strength. And I'll guarantee yourself, you'll never have to wonder about whether your wife or your children or your church respect and honor and love you. Now, third thing that the Lord allows Satan to work with us for is to cause us to see how helpless we are without God and to get us open up and give a great confession to God. Most of us never do that. We never get pushed to the place 
And sometimes the Lord can't let us do it because we don't understand the way God wants to work with us. But what God wants to do is allow the Satan at times to come against us and literally push us out to the brink of the cliff where we're just about ready to go over and we cry out to God and say, Mighty God, they would never do this long as we're on solid ground. Got money in our pocket and our bodies in health and we're on sound ground and got friends around us that love us all and we're just simply walking along. We don't have any trouble. But oh, brother, when you begin to get pushed like this, if you've tried everything, you know how you yelled at the devil and you rebuked him and get away, devil, get away from me. Don't you get near me. I don't like you at all. So forth and so on. And you push further and further and you feel nothing behind you. You look and there's just disaster. I tell you, that's a time you call out and something changes in you and you say, Almighty God, I'm nothing. Help me or I perish, Lord. And when you know that, when you know that, you're gone. See, David said, my feet had well nigh slipped. When you know that, then the Lord simply slips his hand on you like this and takes the devil and says, move off. You learned what I wanted to learn. Now come back here and go to work. Amen? He wants to bring out of us a great confession. Now, God also has ways of doing it. It's only the devil that he uses. Sometimes he uses himself. And I tell you, much of this message that you're hearing tonight have been the marvelous revelation, I believe, that God gave to the three brothers and myself that were there. It's a kind of a unique thing of us working back and forth together. God would speak to one and then to the other and then to the other and the other as we searched out the Word of God and we saw these truths revealed to us. What we saw is that I have my ideas. Somebody wants to be prayed for and they say, would you pray for me? I say, right, yeah. So forth, Lord, heal him right away. The Lord didn't do that. Sometimes he did. Sometimes he prayed for him right away. Or sometimes at a great healing meeting they come by, he healed those that were sick and cleansed the lepers and cast out devils and so forth and so on. But sometimes he dealt with people in a strange way. And every time it was designed to open up some area in their life which they didn't know was haywire, or to get them to make a great confession, and sometimes the things he said, from my point of view, my humanistic point of view, were haywire things. I would never say anything like that to anybody in my ministry. Well, maybe I better learn how the Lord does it then, right? Well, I'll tell you, some of the things the Lord Jesus Christ did wouldn't even be accepted in a Christian church. Say, what? You can't do that kind of stuff in this kind of a church. Get out of here. Says one woman came along to him one time, Syrophoenician woman. And she came up to the Lord, bowed herself before him, said, Master, my daughter lies at home, grievously vexed with a devil. Will you come and heal her? Jesus did not say, certainly I will. I'm ready. Let's go. Where is she? He did not. He said to her, listen to the words. It is not meat to take the children's bread and cast it to dogs. And stop. What do you think about an answer like that? Isn't it repugnant to you? Does it upset you? Christine comes to me. Brother Durkin, will you pray for me? Don't think so. Why? It's not meat to take the children's bread and cast it to dogs. What would you say? What's getting into that? Eat. Oh, eh. I think the Syrophoenician woman was shaking a little bit herself. But I tell you, those that get something from God agree with God. And she said, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. You made a judgment right. 
Now, you know what she could have said? Ha, ha, ha. You think the Jews are the children, do you? And I'm a dog. Well, let me tell you something about some of the Jews that I know. They loan money out at high interest and they cheat me at the store and they do this and they do that. What do you think about Jesus? Amen. Ah, uh, this woman got something from the Lord. You know what she said to him? Yes, Lord. But she said, even the dogs can take of the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Jesus said, oh, woman, great is thy faith. Great is thy faith. See how he changed his life? He was trying to get something out of her. A great confession. Lord, you're right, I'm a dog. Now let's give a contrast to the Pharisees. He said, you're of your father the devil. And the deeds of your father you will do. You go about with murder in your heart, you're seeking to kill me. You're of your father the devil. They said, we be not born of fornication. Our father is Abraham. We follow the reigns of Moses. You are mad and you have a devil. They receive nothing. The Syrophoenician woman says, yes, Lord. But even the dogs can eat from the crumbs that fall to thy master's table. Oh, woman, great is thy faith. Go thy way. What you've asked for, you've received. Your daughter's free of that devil. And she went home and the daughter was asleep and sound and whole on the bed. Hallelujah. Learn to agree with the law. Learn to accept what he said. You don't like it? Forget it. The fact that you don't like it shows you really need to hear it. Hallelujah. Amen. Oh, what a beautiful thing. When you come to be a zero, what can you say bad about a zero that the zero doesn't agree with? You're nothing. Yeah, that's right. You're a flat out zero. That's right. Amen. Agree. See? Daniel, praying for the people. He realized by the books of the Bible, by Jeremiah the prophet, that God would accomplish 70 years in the captivity in Babylon. And he knew the 70 years was coming to a close, and he gets down before God. Now remember, God called him a righteous man. That's what God called him. Daniel gets down before God and says, Oh my God, we have sinned. Not they have sinned. Oh my Lord, I am praying for this group of sinners out here. You righteous boy, Jim. It's praying for the sinners, Lord. You see them out there? Pray, 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 pray. <laughs> Daniel says, Oh, my Lord, we have sinned. We have gone astray. We have not kept thine ordinances. We have done wickedly. We have committed iniquity, my Father. And you have justly brought us into captivity. We receive the due deserts the just reward of our evil deeds, but thou, O Lord, are righteous. Now, Father, we beseech thee, not for works that we have done, but because thou art a merciful God and a good God, restore us, Father, to our land. Oh, what a man Daniel was. He understood how to agree with God completely. Don't you realize sometimes when it goes bad with us, you ever say something like this? Lord. I pay my tithes. I work hard in the bakery. I really get out there and do it for you all day long, Lord. How did you let a thing like this happen to me? Ever do anything like that? Is there anyone here today? Me. I did, Lord. 
I did, Lord. Oh, murmur and complaint. So finally I learned pretty well, not perfectly, pretty well, that when it goes wrong, brother, sister, it ain't going wrong, it's going right. Hallelujah. Now, give you a few more examples. Blind man walking down the street, two of them as a matter of fact, said, Oh, thou son of David, have mercy on us and heal us. Now they gave a confession, a pretty good one. Oh, thou son, he's going down the street and a group of people behind, they're, Son of David, have mercy on us and heal us. Our blinded eyes we can't see. Jesus walks. Son of David! Son of David! Son of David! Jesus, why don't you stop? Jesus, those people have needs. Jesus, you can heal them. Jesus, why don't you stop? Walk on. Some blocks, miles, I don't know what. Came to the house which he was going. Walked inside and waited. They came up, Son of David, Son of David, Son of David. When they came in, they were ready to say something. He said to them, Do you believe? Do you believe that I am able to do this? They said, Yea, Lord, we believe. Now, I don't know what was wrong down there. I'm simply telling you something. That a mile down the road, Jesus could have turned around and they might not have been ready for healing at all. They might have had no more faith than nothing. Nothing! But by the time they followed Jesus, some change had taken place in them. I tell you, there's sometimes I get down before the Lord and I say, Father, I have a great need in my life. Disaster is coming in on all hands. All the walls are falling down. The money has disappeared. Disease is everywhere. And Father, Sometime when you have a little time, wish you'd get around to taking care of some of these problems. Thank you, Lord. Well, I get on about my business today. No answer. You know, before the Lord, Father, remember I was here yesterday? Nothing happened. Lord, Lord in heaven, nothing. I'm not overthrowing what I'm saying about speak once if you take that in faith. But I'm talking about sometimes we're not ready even to pray. And so our praying is not prayer. Sometimes I come to that point where I tell you something needs to break out of my old tough hardened shell that's got around my spirit and kind of locking it in. And I have to get out and say, God, break me. God, let me touch heaven. Let me know that something is happening. Touch my spirit, mighty God. I need to hear from you. Sometimes in that moment I feel it. It's happened. Now you get up from there and say, Thank you, mighty Father. Now let the whole world blow apart. And I know when it's all over, you'll have me standing on my feet and you'll put it all back together again. I touch God. That's what he wants to do out of some of these people. You read in the New Testament how Jesus dealt with them to get them to come and make those great confessions to break through. The man with the son who was a paralytic, the palsy, epileptic really probably we call it in our day, although it didn't call it that in the Bible time. Came to the disciples, cure my son. And they 
cast out devils and yelled and screamed and nothing happened. We've gone through that. We've held people down and pounded them on the chest and all kinds of stuff. Get the devil out. Some person said, take him over your knee and beat him with a board. The devil don't like to get beaten with a board. If you beat the person, or run the devil out. Another one one time had a rooster and said, man, devils don't like to be cast out, but it makes it, you don't have enough faith, have a rooster. Now, how you like that for a formula? You don't have faith, have a rooster. Because the devils don't like to be cast out in outer darkness, but the devils didn't mind so much going into the swine. So they substituted the rooster for the swine. They said, come out of man, you devils go in the rooster. They throw the rooster out the window. Hallelujah. Lord, deliver us from that kind of nonsense. But the disciples tried, and not a thing happened. Then he came to Jesus. Said, Jesus, heal my son. And suddenly, the devil took him and threw the son down on the floor, and the Bible said he wallowed foaming. Well, wouldn't it be the natural thing for Jesus immediately to get down there and grab the child by the head or something, begin to command the devil to come out, or at least strike his hand over the place or something? But he stands there. The child is wallowing, foaming on the floor, and he says to the father, when did this come to him? When did this come to him? Lord, we'll talk about it later. Do something. When did this come to him? Of a child. And often has cast him into the fire and on the floor, throw him in the water, try to destroy him. And Lord, if you can do anything, help us. If you can do anything, Jesus said, if you can believe, all things are possible to him that believes. And then came this great confession. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. And Jesus said, devil, come out of here. That's what he was waiting to get. Thank you, Jesus, that you're not like we are. We miss the whole point sometimes. We're going to do good, and we end up doing nothing. Whereas if we just wait a while for the direction of the Spirit to know how to deal with that situation, we might have the answer. One time Smith Wigglesworth was called to pray for a person. Man had great abscesses in his body and his legs, groin, and so forth and so on. Pastor took him, look at him, pray for him, Brother Wigglesworth. Wigglesworth said, just a minute, see what the Lord will tell me. Stop for a moment. He said, got a scripture for you, young man. Fools, he said, because of their iniquity, are afflicted. The man looked at him and began to shake and said, oh, brother, he said, I am that fool. And then he began to pour out his sin. And right while they were standing there, they said this abscess is swole up and broke. And the pus came running out right as they stood there. And Willsworth said, son, go in peace. The Lord has healed you. Hallelujah. Oh, let us learn to be directed by his spirit. His spirit. See? God has his way of dealing with us to teach us his love. To teach us to know him. To show us where we are. To teach us how to deal in his way. To let him deal through us. That's his plan. That's his purpose. We're talking about spiritual warfare. We're warring against the devil. We want to set men free. Our brother Steve read the scripture this morning that we were to fast and pray to loose the bands of wickedness, to break the oppression that people were oppressed with, to let people out of prison, to set men and women free, to cast out demons and heal the sick and raise the dead. That's what Jesus has called us to do. And we've got to set ourselves to that purpose. That purpose. Now how spiritual victory is obtained by practicing God's Word. Have you ever heard me preach on that subject before? By practicing God's Word. What does it mean? It means by practicing God's Word in fasting, in prayer, in praise, 
in thanksgiving, in doing what it teaches us to do, following his teachings, giving thanks in everything, rejoicing evermore, praying without ceasing. All of these things I don't understand. I don't know what good fasting is at all. I tell you that. We went down there, and I don't say this to blow you out about fasting, but we went down there. Sometimes, you know, people fast to lose weight. Or sometimes people fast because they don't feel like eating. They say, I think I'll fast. Why? Well, I don't feel like eating anyhow. Well, that's not a reason to fast. It's not even a fast, really. You know, fasting is a warfare. You come before the Lord and you say, Lord, I'm here before you, Father. Do with me what you will. And I want to tell you some of the funniest things start going on. Funny things. Dreams become kooky dreams. And we felt weak. We'd get up in the morning. We'd get out of bed, you know. We'd say, oh, thank you, Lord. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Oh, oh. Oh, let's study the Bible a while. Okay, brother. Oh, I tell you something. Yeah, that's warfare. But somehow, somehow, God opened our spirit and we break out in times of prayer together and the word would open to us simultaneously and one would read and another would read and the word would open. What a glorious thing happened on that fast. But that's warfare, brother, sister. Now, how it works, I don't know. But I know God does something in a fast that he can't do any other way. Prayer, the same thing. Says, thy father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. What I have to pray for. He knows what I have need before I ask him. He says, ask him. Ask him. So sometimes it's necessary for me to cry out to God, even cry out to him for him to do something. Then the Bible tells me rejoice evermore. God wants to bring us to that place of practice where you can be thankful for everything you do. That's part of God's training to bring you to that place of submission to him. Now, all the time this is happening, what do you think the devil is saying when you weep? Oh, oh, Lord. One of our brothers got sick. His bile kept coming up in his stomach. He didn't have anything in his stomach to need bile for. And when you get bile in there, brother, that's really make you upset, you know. Here's the devil saying, oh, man, you better not do that. Because if you do, you're going to drop dead of starvation. Uh, and uh, you over here, you're going to have a heart attack. And you're going to do this and that. Oh, brother, listen to me. Warfare. But if you keep on walking with the Lord, like Job, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Then I'll tell you what the result will be. The Bible says God will raise you up and cause you to ride upon the high places of the earth. And he will call you the repairer of the breach, the restorer of paths to dwell in. He will cause you, now I want you to think about it, you, not me. In his own way, he's fulfilling that word in my life. But now it must transfer from any vision that I see for myself, although my work will continue, to a vision you must see for yourself. He will cause you to raise up the foundations of many generations. Now, God has showed me something that in the natural, 35 years is probably a generation. Maybe 37, maybe 33, like some people say. But somewhere around, that's a generation. But spiritually, the Lord is showing me that he's raising up people now in two to three years and sending them out to do God's work. 
sending people out to go to this field and that field and the other field. And when they arrive there, these three-year-old mature Christians, they're going to arrive in some place and preach the same gospel that God used to bring them to Christ here. The same principles that they learned, they're going to teach. The same fasting that was taught here, they're going to fast. The same prayer that was taught here, they're going to pray. Maybe more than that. You know what the result is going to be? Everywhere you go, everywhere you go, your hand will prosper, and where you set down, a body will form. And you will raise them up, and they will go out, and everywhere they go, a body will form. And God will raise them up, and everywhere they go, a body will form. You, if you can take the promise to yourself, can be called the repairer of the breach. And brother, there's a breach in the Word of God. Not in this book, but in men's use of it. There's a breach. You'll be called the repairer of the breach. Men have lost the way. Jesus said to the blind, lead the blind to both falls into a ditch. Jesus said to the Pharisees, you've taken away the key. You won't go into heaven yourself and you won't let anyone else go in. But God is restoring the path to dwell in in this day. And you can be called, if you will, to restore the path to dwell in. But I think the most important of all is God's final thing. You will raise up the foundations of many generations. There's more there. But brother, it's worth it. Sister, it's worth it. Amen? I want you to bow your heads with me in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Now, Father, I pray that these words that I have spoken, Lord, the ground has been good ground on which these words have fallen, and they will sink deep into the spirits of the people that have heard them, Lord. And also I pray for those that will hear these words on tape, mighty Father, that they, as they hear this tape, the same anointing that has been here will be in the hearers' hearts that listen to these tapes. Lord, let them be used, these words, for bringing to pass your purposes as outlined in the Word of God. And now, Father, we submit this into your hands and do with it what you will, knowing that it will not return unto you void, but will accomplish that whereunto you have sent it. 